0: Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we're up to chapter 5 this morning, and what a what an amazing passage that is before us. We come to another passage that's written to provide us wisdom in living under the sun. We're working through a section in Ecclesiastes, in chapter 3 through 5, that outlines ten thorny issues or ten thorny areas of life that can bring particular frustration in a in a Genesis 3 world. In Genesis 3, in the actual Bible, God told Adam that the ground, because of Adam and Eve's sin and their rebellion and the curse... Part of the curse, God said that the ground would would grow thorns and thistles. And Solomon is showing us that that's not only literal, but figurative as well. He says life under the sun feels feels empty if you look for satisfaction in it without God. We've been through that in chapter 1 and chapter 2. He says it feels vain or not worth the effort if you try to find meaning in this world alone, if you look to to money or if you look to popularity or if you look to whatever, fill in the blank, and you leave God out, you're going to end up thinking it's not worth the effort. And Solomon says even with God, even following God, it, it can be frustrating unless you apply the wisdom that he's provided for For us to to navigate life the good news is is god has provided us that wisdom and he's also given us his spirit to be able to use it solomon's goal in this section of ecclesiastes is to point us to to that navigational wisdom so we'll follow the paths that that are laid out you might think of it this way whenever i go hunting and i There're times that I, I come a, upon a field and I need to get across the field from from one side to the other but but a lot of times those those fields are very overgrown they're they're full of of briars they they haven't been they haven't been bush hogged for for quite some time and and when I come upon a field like that I typically stand back and and I I look to see what's the best way to to get across to the other side it's if uh if you if you look close enough, you typically can see a, can see a trail either made by a deer or or, or a cow and that that you can follow and you won't get tangled up in the in the briars. It may not be the shortest way of cross, but if you've ever approached one of those fields, it's and tried to make your own path, you, you know it's best to follow the one that you can see. I think that's what Solomon is, is doing here in chapters 3 through 5. He, he's helping us do the same thing with life because, because of the fall, life under the sun is like a field full of briars and you can cross that field in one of two ways. You can haphazardly take off <laughs> walking and get shredded by the, the curse's thorns or, or you can stand back and and look for the path of wisdom that Solomon has has laid out in, in front of us. And by the way, Solomon's cut some of the path himself. He, he he's been through this field, and and he left with a few through briar, a few briars and, and thorns, uh, just like just like we can. While you can't remove the briars of life, God has a well-worn path if. If you'll follow it. And, and Solomon has already pointed out some of the thickets. The thickets of God's sovereignty, of human injustice, of death, of, of oppression and abuse, the misuse of work, and last week, loneliness or needing people too much, looking to them for, for, the, for fame or popularity. Well, in our passage today, he's going to teach us about some of the frustrations that, that come and as we uh, as we relate to God Himself. Solomon says, amazingly, in chapter 5, even your relationship with God can bring frustration in a fallen world. Now, last week, this topic and the topic we have in front of us today shouldn't surprise us because it's really a, a, a fundamental component of the, of the curse. Genesis 3 tells us, that the curse affected our relationships, even the most intimate ones. As we saw, it's not good for man to, to be alone. But after the fall, even the companionship that God has applied or provided in, in life turns to competition. Man will desire to rule over the woman and she'll desire to rise up over, over him. So Solomon deals with the, the topic of loneliness and then putting too much hope in, in human beings. Well, Solomon reminds us today that the curse has affected an even more important relationship than husband and wife. It's the one that we have with God. The Bible says Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. They enjoyed perfect fellowship with Him. And when they chose to rebel, that relationship was broken. Thankfully, thankfully, it can be restored through Jesus Christ. But even then, even after it's restored... Because of the fall, it can fall short of what it's meant to be. That's one of the wonderful promises of heaven. We we're coming to the end of Revelation on Sunday night. Revelation twenty-one. We found we heard the promise: He will be our God; we will be His people. There'll be no curse. We'll be in perfect fellowship with Him in God's very presence. That's happening. That's coming again. But until then, we need to heed the wisdom. Of Solomon. Until then, our attempts to fellowship with God can be frustrating. There's many ways it can be frustrating. There's sincere believers that find themselves in very insincere churches. They have any number of issues: poor doctrine, bad leadership, uh, no teaching at all, and and these believers are saved, but they're relegated to struggle in their sanctification. For all of their Christian life, because they're not receiving the tools that, that they, that they need. That, that can bring frustration. Truly desiring to please God and to follow God, but never getting the proper tools in order to, to do that. That, that would be frustrating, wouldn't it? There's spiritual frustration that, that can come from the opposite angle. Uh, because of our flesh and because of our unbelief, we, we can get frustrated in, in good churches. We don't always like what the Bible says for us to do or about our condition and that can bring frustration can it we don't want to put forth the effort to study the bible and, and and to do what god says we 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 don't want long sermons we we want our church to be the way that we want it to be whatever you can fill in the blank there are lots of frustrations that can come even being in a good church in fact there's been entire movements that have been spawned out of that dissatisfaction right Churches have been planted based on the frustrations that people feel about biblical truths. There are lots of churches out there that define themselves by what they're not. We're not a conservative church. We're not a, a, a church that has uh, you know, long sermons or you don't have to wear a suit here or you don't have to do this or you don't have to do that. Can you imagine being a member, or, or or even worse, pastoring a church made up of disgruntled people that left other churches and are frustrated? Well, that would be a wonderful place to be, right? I get frustrated sometimes whenever God doesn't answer my prayers. Do you? I get frustrated sometimes when it feels like I'm doing the right thing and and life's not easy. God's not cooperating. I'm doing what you told me to do and it's not happening the way that I think it I think it should. I get frustrated sometimes when I work and work and work and and the message falls short or Whatever, criticism comes and you get frustrated at times when you come with with a need and you listen and you listen and then the the sermon doesn't address a specific need, whatever it is on your heart. Well, Solomon's actually going to deal with us today as as believers and he's going to help us with the frustrations toward church and the things that cause irritations in our relationship with, with God. Just because we're believers and in a good church doesn't insulate us from these kinds of of frustrations. And Solomon is going to give us wisdom to keep us out of that briar patch today. He says when this happens, you can respond one of two ways. You can respond wisely or foolishly. And Solomon wants to keep us out of the, the religion of fools thicket. The last three areas that Solomon is going to deal with in, out of the ten. We've already covered seven. The last three, each of them have a particular connection to, to God, our relationship with God. In verses 1 through 7 of chapter 5, we'll look at today, it's frustrations from religion. In verses 8 and 9, it's the frustration of politics. Verses 10 through 20, it's the frustration of mishandling wealth. Now, can you think of three topics that are more applicable to life? Religion, politics, and money, huh? Conventional wisdom says you don't talk about any of those. And Solomon, God, talks about all three of them in the span of one chapter. And today we're going to cover the frustrations that come when we don't walk wisely in relating to God. There are actually two sections. Jesse read for us, verses 1 through, through 7. There are actually two sections here with a whole bunch of commands. Verses 1 through 3 is the first part. That's how we approach God in worship. Solomon gives us wisdom about how we approach God in worship. And then verse 4 through 7, which is about the vows, it's all about the appeals that we make to to God, how, how to handle that wisely. This is very similar. You, you probably think of, uh, should think of James chapter one, verse verse twenty-two, being a hearer and being a being a doer. Verses one through three is wisdom about hearing our approach to God. Verses four through seven is wisdom about about doing our appeals to God and then following through on those appeals. And the wisdom in both of these sections are at the are at the very end. The wisdom is found in verse two. Look if you would at verse two. The very end of verse 2. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth, therefore let your words be few. There's the wisdom of the approach of God. And look at verse 7. Here's the wisdom for for vowing to God or appealing and then following through. Fear God. Rather, fear God. Solomon says God is in heaven, you are on the earth, so let your words be few. Well, Unpack what that means. And then he says, fear God because obedience is better than the sacrifice of fools. That's what he says in verses 4 through, through 7. Solomon dresses bad manners before God and being manipulative with God. And he says that we have to guard against certain things as we approach the Lord and in our appeals to the Lord because it can bring great frustration in our Christian walk if we don't. So here is a simple outline for you. Two ways to disc- uh, decrease your frustration in dealing with God. Guide your approach to God and guard your appeals. Or sorry, gu- uh, guide your approach of God and guard your appeals to God. To come to God in a thoughtless approach or to make careless appeals will surely increase your frustration in life. And Solomon's wisdom begins with, with wisdom on how we approach God. Look, if you would, at verse 1. Guard your steps as you come to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than offer the sacrifice The fools, for they do not know they are even doing evil. Dr. Bill Barrick said this section is preparing for life beyond the sun. Everything else is life under the sun. This is preparing us for life beyond the sun, the one who made the sun to begin with. How do you approach that person? Well, there are four commands here in verses 1 through 3. Guard your steps... Draw near to listen, don't be hasty in word or thought, let your words be few. Four commands. Kind of moves this along from, from beginning to end. And Solomon basically says that God is concerned with how we listen. He condemns dull ears whenever we approach Him. And He's also concerned with what we say. He, he warns about loud tongues. People that are always talking when they should be listening or, or going on and on and on with insincerity in their heart. Now, the setting here is obvious. He says, uh, guard your steps as you go to the house of God. It's a, it's a worshiper that's approaching the temple. And in this case, it's Solomon's temple. We don't have a temple to come to, but the principle the same. As God's people, the first step of worship, Solomon says, begins with how we approach God. The word fool is used here over and over in this passage, which is why we call this wisdom to avoid the, the religion of fools. Verse 1, there's the sacrifice of fools. Verse 3, it says there's the voice of a fool. And then in verse 4, God takes no delight in fools. Being foolish in your dealings with God will bring you lots of frustration and Solomon also says in the second half even some judgment. He says to avoid that, you must guard your steps as you go to the house of God and you should draw near to, to listen. You, you see that there's an initial command. Guard your steps and draw near to listen. That, that, that's the wisdom that he gives. And then there's the reason. Rather than offer the sacrifice of fools. You do that because you can inadvertently offer a sacrifice, a fool sacrifice... And he says that's evil. So then he offers a second command in verse 2 to correct that approach. Don't be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring a matter before God. And then he gives a final conclusion. God's in heaven, you're on the earth, therefore let your words be few. That's how this whole passage just kind of moves along. And the point is to take care in your approach to the Lord. What does he mean by that? Guard your steps. Walk in a particular path? Take a take a particular road? Well, the key is found in the word guard. It, it, it's the idea of, of, of approaching reverently. It means don't come haphazardly or, or unprepared. I think Solomon is saying here exactly what you've heard many times before. Sunday morning starts Saturday night. Or at least before you enter the church building. You prepare your heart before you ever come to get something from God because if you don't, you're not going to get anything. Or worse, you're going to offer profane worship before the Lord. It all starts in your heart, Solomon says. And if you want to experience a full heart when you come to church, Solomon says don't come carelessly. Don't come haphazardly. I mean, some people come to church and expect God to bless their socks off. Or they want the choir, or the preacher to do it. Their cup's not not running over it; it's full of dust. And and then they come hoping that the overspray is gonna is gonna wash it out. And all it does is create a bunch of mud. That's what it does. The dust that's in there gets wet, and they sometimes leave worse than than whenever they came. Now I'm like you, and and there are times when when life tips the cup over, and and you just need God to fill the cup. Solomon is, is not saying that's bad. In fact, he's saying that's good. Because the attitude that you have whenever life knocks the cup over and the way that you come to church whenever you have no other hope is exactly the way that Solomon says that we need to approach all the time. That's the key of getting something and not leaving frustrated. How do you come to church whenever you're at the end of your rope? You're attentive. You need God, you're humble, you're willing to hear, you're willing to do what what He tells you to do. And that's what Solomon's talking about here in in preparation. And he defines specifically what this preparation looks like. Look, if you would, at verse 1 again. He says, guard your steps as you come to the house of God. What do you mean, Solomon? Draw near to listen. Listen. Draw near to listen. Guard your feet, meaning your demeanor and your preparedness. And that means be ready to hear and ready to obey. Solomon says the right approach or the reason you come to church is to draw near to listen to God speak. That's why it is a horrible thing to have nothing but a man, or in our culture, a woman standing before you, babbling human words. That's why it's bad. Because it's not the purpose of church. The purpose is not to come and be wowed by me, as if that was even possible, or anybody else. It's to come and to hear the voice of God. This comes from the central command of the worship of Israel. Hear, O Israel. When God's people come to the temple, they come to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It means to draw near and listen to His voice. That's what we do every Sunday. Worship is entering God's presence and listening to His words. That's simple. That's what it is. Not all the other bells and whistles that are wonderful, but if you distill it down, it means coming into God's presence with God's people to hear His words. That's why the most important thing that we do is happening Right now, we're all gathered with hushed hearts, listening to our Creator's voice. And the opposite of that is a babbling fool who talks when God is speaking. Look at verse 1 again. Guard your steps, draw near to listen, rather than offering the sacrifice of, of fools. For they don't even know that they're doing evil. Solomon says, preparing your heart before you come will reduce your frustration of leaving empty whenever you don't do that. It also keeps you from offering a fool's sacrifice. Now, now notice this contrast. Do this, draw near to listen, rather than, than this, to offer the sacrifice of fools. You see that contrast? And then he gives the reason. They don't realize that they're doing evil. One of the ways that you know you're not approaching God rightly is that you're talking when you should be listening. That's what Solomon says. This is the person who comes to church and listens to the Bible with suspect or sits in the seat of superiority or hears what God says and then evaluates it based on their own grid system that's in their heart and then argues with it. They're talking in their minds. They're not talking out loud. They're they're arguing with God's voice in their their mind. This is the person who also goes through the motions of worship and singing and prayer and pretending to offer a sacrifice to God. But God says it's nothing more than empty words. Solomon says that person is a fool. And they don't even realize the evil that they're doing. The danger of being a fool is you don't realize you're being a fool. (laughs) Foolish people don't even realize that they're foolish. And that's what makes the first command so important, to take care in preparing to approach. Because you and I are both susceptible, when we don't take care, to allow the very voice of our Creator to blow in one ear and right out the other. In these verses, Solomon makes us ask, do we really mean? what we say when we stand and sing. I surrender all. Do we really mean what we say whenever we pray? God, I want your will to be done. God, thank you for this food. Solomon says don't let your worship be worshipless and your prayers be prayerless. And he gives some more characteristics of the religion of fools to help us to see if we're guilty. Look give you would at verse 2. How we listen, he condemns dull ears, and he also condemns what we say. He warns about loud tongues. Verse 2, don't be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. We're still in the presence of God here. We're still before the Lord here. For God is in heaven and you're on the earth, therefore let your words be few. Now Solomon zooms in even further to, to what happens once we reach the temple. He says, guard your heart as you're on your way there. And now he's going to talk about, now you're inside the temple, what happens when, and he says, if you approach God unguarded with dull ears, you're going to have loud tongues. Don't be hasty with your words or impulsive in thought because God is God. It's a, it's a simple way to simplify. The first command addresses your mouth, the second addresses your heart. And the Bible connects those two. What's in your heart ends up coming out of your mouth. Solomon is warning against speaking without realizing who you are approaching. Solomon says it's not how many words you say, but the sincerity of those words that that matter before the Lord. This is a person who is coming before God more concerned about what they want than the worship that we owe him. It's a warning about empty religion, and it's also a remedy. Solomon says superficial worship reveals what you truly think about God. It affects the prayers you pray, the sacrifices you bring, and even, we'll see in a minute, the vows of service that you make. Solomon says it's, it's, it's not prayers that are the problem, or even long ones. As, as one preacher pointed out when I was studying this past week, the longest prayer in the Bible is in 1 Kings 8, and it was from Solomon, whenever he dedicated the temple. Uh, Solomon's not against long prayers, or even saying a lot to God. He's appealing for true worship, which is in spirit and in truth. Now, that only comes... When you realize who you are approaching, this is the same thing. So I think Solomon is saying the exact same thing that our Lord says in Matthew chapter six, in the Sermon on the Mount." And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. Why? It's inserted by me. Why? For they suppose that they'll be heard, for there are many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That's what Solomon is saying here. Your Father is in heaven and you're on the earth. If you pray like that, you're going to have lots of frustrations. First, God won't hear you and you won't answer, because you'll not be heard because of many words. The point Jesus was making in Matthew 6 and Solomon is making here is what's behind the prayer's matter. Thinking many words or length of prayer is somehow going to make God listen or give you what you want is foolish. It can even be evil. Because if you think that, then you're missing who God really is. He's not the the ATM. And he gives the ultimate reason for all these commands. Look, if you would, at verse 2 again. The end of it. For God is in heaven and you're on the earth. That's the reason that he gives all of these commands. Solomon tears back the dusty curtains of empty religion and as the light comes in, he shows us the foundation of a true relationship with the living God. It is recognizing who He is and who we are. He is in heaven and we are on the earth. And when you realize that, you don't blast your way into the middle of the throne room and begin spewing anything. You get on your face and you say nothing. That's what Solomon is saying. Men love religion because it allows them to play with God. And there are many motions and rituals complete with songs and chants that give men the ability to dance around in a religious show but never face the scrutiny of holy light. And they're like the people that never make it beyond the city walls and then go home saying, I've seen the king. People come to church that way. And Solomon says that is very different from true religion, that brings you before the king's throne, and as you're there, you stand before the king's gaze. And there's nothing to hide there. Your petitions and your prayers are different whenever you realize that you stand in God's presence, aren't they? There's an awareness of holiness. And you gladly say, you're in heaven and I'm on the earth, so my words are few. Solomon says a true relationship with God includes an awareness of who God is and a pursuit of what He desires. Now think back to the Lord Jesus. and He warns in the Sermon on the Mount against doing this. You're not going to be heard because you think that your words are going to manipulate God or somehow if you do this, then that's going to make God hear. That That's a pagan God. It's not the God of the Bible. After Jesus says that, it tells the disciples how not to pray. In the same Sermon on the Mount, He tells them how to pray, doesn't He? Pray then in this way. And how does He start that prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then He says, give us this day our daily bread. And where's the focus? Who God is? It's not just some religious mantra that you pray, like, now I lay me down to sleep. The focus is on God. The focus is on who He is, what He's doing, His name, His kingdom, His will. Then you may ask God for daily bread. And even that is humble worship. Because Jesus just said... Look at the very end. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And so you ask Him. He already knows what you need, and He's already promised to provide it. Solomon and Jesus say every act of worship, every request in prayer, every everything begins with setting who God is before your heart and who you are in light of Him. And Solomon says approaching that is foolish religion. Approaching God without that, I should say, is foolish religion. It's a fool's errand. It's a fool's game because God sees through and he doesn't reward a vain show. And even worse, you can find an echo in the words of Jesus they talk about a much more ominous consequence. What does Jesus say in Matthew seven twenty one will happen to a person who doesn't hold God rightly and depends only on their words? You know it well, Matthew seven twenty one, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you remember their appeal whenever God rejects them? Depart from me, I never knew you, is the answer. Here's their appeal to that. They say to me on that day, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not perform many miracles? Solomon is saying the exact same thing here. It's not the person who talks about God or who claims to know God or even does things in God's name or even comes to church that offers true worship. It's the person that knows who God is that He is in heaven and that you are on the earth, and that is the beginning of a relationship with God and the foundation of true worship. And all who live under the sun must stand before the eternal God who made the sun, and that's the way you come to church. Any other way carries about as much weight as the weird dreams that you have at night. Look if you would at verse 3. For dreams come through much effort, and the voice of fools through many words. Now, what does that mean? I mean, you really could have stopped this whole thing in verse 2, couldn't you? Let your words be few. But Solomon adds one final statement here to emphasize. For the dreams that come through much effort, and the voice of a fool through many words. Let me restate that for you. The idea is just like dreams go asleep, Many words go with a fool. Trimper Longman said verse three is a comparison. Much work leads to many dreams. Foolishness leads to many words. The idea is just like anyone who sleeps typically dreams, someone who talks a lot is usually foolish. You ever have been really tired and woke up with a really strange dream? How much stock do you put in that dream? Pink unicorns dancing around in your bedroom, whatever it is. How much stock do you put in that? Solomon says that you can put about as much stock in religious babble as you do in pink unicorns dancing around in your bedroom. God puts about as much stock in a fool's words as you do in pink unicorns dancing around or in your dreams. Spiritual people are not the ones that you hear talking all the time or always giving their opinion or saying they know this or that. They're the ones a few words, but when they speak, their words are God-saturated and Christ-centered. And you need to remember that so you don't trifle with God or take His promises lightly. Here's the second admonition. This will go quicker. This is 4 through 7. The second way to decrease your frustration with God is to guide your appeals to God. Now, I could stop right here and give an invitation, couldn't I? But Solomon doesn't, so we won't. Guide your appeals to Him. Look at verse 4. When you make a vow to God, don't be late in paying it, for He takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. He's given us wisdom in how we listen and what we say. Now he's going to address what we do. And he cautions against empty promises to the Lord. There's a bunch of commands here as well, five of them. Don't be late in paying your vow. Pay what you owe. Don't let your speech cause you to sin. Don't say that it was a mistake and fear God. Those are the five commands. And all of them are about your service to God. Where verses 1 through 3 is about your approach Wisdom in coming to God, now wisdom in serving after you come. This section is about fulfilling our commitments and meaning what we say. Jesus says something about that as well in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your let yes be yes and your no be no. Don't swear by the temple or by the earth or anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. There's a similar pattern. There's an initial command. Talking about the promises we make in, in worship. When you make a vow to God, that's a, that's a promise that you make in worship. And he gives the reason. God takes no delight in fools in verse 4. So he offers a second command to correct that approach. Pay what you vow. And then some more commands and then he gives a final conclusion. Rather fear God. Don't do that. Rather fear God. And again, Solomon addresses an issue in worship. But before you read that and hear making vows and you think that's Old Testament stuff, you need to obey the first command that Solomon gave us, draw near to listen. Because a vow is any promise that we make to God in worship as worship. A vow of the Old Testament was when a worshiper committed themselves to undertake some kind of action, often a sacrifice, if God would answer a specific request. Or it was just simply a way to to worship Him. Lord, I will offer You a portion of my crops. I come to the temple, I'm overwhelmed by the goodness of God, and so I, I say, Lord, I will offer You a portion of my crops because I love You. You are sitting in church and you think, Lord, I love You. What can I do in order to show you how much I I, I love you. I want to to see the gospel go forward. And so, this next month, I'm going to give whatever in order to, to help the ministry of the church. Walt Kaiser said, "...worship is called sacrifice, because it is offering God the calves of our lips." And Solomon says, "...don't let your lips offer lame calves." It still may be difficult, though, when you, when you hear about Old Testament vows. It might not be as easy to understand as it would have been for a Jew in Solomon's time, but I, but I think I can help you understand, and I think that you'll see exactly what he's saying. You ever promised God something, you, you would go to church more if he helped you out of a situation, only to forget about the promise that, that you made? In prayer, have you ever told the Lord, I will give more if you get me this job or this promotion? Lord, I'll, I'll increase my tithe by 5% if, if I get this promotion. And maybe it was for somebody else. Lord, I, I will. if you'll just save them or help them, I, I promise I, I won't make the same mistakes in that, in that relationship. The vows that were in the law were, were not different. You, you promised to God to do something. And that's what Solomon is, is addressing. Vowing something to the Lord out of love for Him. And the problem here, Joel James says, is addressing devotion that evaporates when it becomes inconvenient. It's using those vows as a form of manipulation or bargaining with God, or you're in, you are sincere, but then you don't follow through because it's no longer convenient. Look at verse five. It's better that you should not vow than, than you should pay. Then you should vow and not pay. Don't let your speech cause you to sin. Solomon gives a warning to do what you say you're going to do, especially to God, and then he offers an encouragement: not to make vows to begin with if you can't. It, Bill Riken said it's a lot easier to make a promise than to keep one, isn't it? It's another better than proverb. It would be better not to make a vow than to make it and not keep it. Solomon says, Do what you promised, and, and then and the danger comes when when that motivation leaves. And we forget the promise that, that we made. Hey, it could be anything the guy who gets arrested and he promises to follow Christ and then when he gets off the hook, he doesn't show back up to to church. We promise God whatever because we're in trouble or we wanted God to do something or our heart was filled with, with love and admiration at that time, but then when that pressure point is removed, the motivation to follow through leaves and we end up sinning. And Solomon says that is serious business. Don't play manipulative games to get what you want and then forget what you promised and go back to living the way that you were. Don't promise God something and then not follow through. That's that's serious. Can you think of some vows that you've made to God that He intends you to keep? How about your marriage vows? Those are vows made to God. Not in an Old Testament sacrificial system. God, I promise to remain married to this woman for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, whether I feel love for her or not, whatever, till death do us part. By the way, this is one of the dangerous things that young people do today of making up their own vows. You realize when you stand there and say, I promise to be a friend forever and every moment of every day, it's going to be flowers and puppies your whole life, that you're vowing that before God? That's serious business. I like for better or worse. I have a hard enough time keeping that one, right? (laughs) Solomon says it's serious business to think that a vow is until you find some reason not to keep it. Until you find some legal loophole or you wrangle the Bible to find a way out of it. You've already fallen from your vow whenever you start looking for a way out to begin with. How about the promise you make whenever you join a church? We're going to do that with 28 people tonight. Covenant commitment, a promise to one another. God, I promise to attend and to practice the one another's, give faithfully, use my spiritual gifts and all those other things that we promise. but, but then you decide you don't like something and that vow is no longer valid and so you disappear and you, you get gobbled up in the, the Christian blob that is the 100 million churches in Lynchburg. Or you just get too tired to come on Sunday night anymore. Solomon says God expects us to follow through on what we promise, and the excuses that we make for forgetting or forgoing those promises is exactly what he's talking about in verse six. Look at you, look at verse six. Don't let your speech cause you to sin; it's a sin. And don't say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. That's offering an excuse. The messenger of God here is the priest in the in the temple who came around when it was time to collect the collect the vow. Israelite Johnny promises a grain offering, and when he comes to the temple next year, and he comes to the messenger of God, and the priest says, Where's the offering? And Johnny says did you hear me say grain offering? I meant main offering. I've already given in the in the main offering. I gave the last time the plate came around. It's when it comes time to follow through on the promise and you make an excuse and say it was a mistake, I, I didn't mean it, or the reason I can't do that is because of whatever, and then think somehow that God will not hold you to that vow any longer. That's exactly what Solomon is Is saying here. My fingers were crossed. I don't love them anymore. God wants me to be happy. Whatever else. Don't make rash promises to begin with. And when you're trying to get out of a promise, don't come up with lame excuses. Take your vow seriously and take breaking it seriously as well. Now, Solomon's point is not that every promise that you're ever going to make, you're always going to keep, because if that was the case, you would be Jesus Christ, and there would be no reason for Him to come. Everyone in here has broken many, many, many promises to God, and it also doesn't even mean that in the fall, that the Lord hasn't regulated a fallen world with with specific ways to deal with, with things. When when covenants are broken beyond what we can do anything about, like habitual adultery in Matthew 19. The point is, if you go for the excuse first, if you look for the excuse, you're practicing the religion of fools and you're self-deceived. And God doesn't take kindly to that. The end of verse 6. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Solomon says, if you don't heed my wisdom, God will be angry on account of your voice, your vow, and He could bring judgment. Do you remember the old commercial with chiffon margarine? It's not nice to fool Mother Nature. Solomon says, forget her. It's dangerous to try to fool with God because you can't. How serious is this? I mean, will God really intervene if I break my vows? That's exactly what Solomon says here. But I I can mention four people in the Bible that put an exclamation point on it. Does Nadab and Abihu from Leviticus 10, 1 ring a bell? What about Ananias and Sapphira? Both of them. Severe judgments came. And it was at the beginning of a new era. At the beginning of tabernacle worship and the beginning of the church. And what God is saying is it is a serious thing to come before me. And it's a serious thing to not do what you say. Don't mess with God. He's merciful. Oh, He's merciful. But He's also dangerous. And you say, well, if that's the case, I'm not promising anything to the Lord because I know I'm weak. And Solomon says that's not the answer either. In fact, true worship, when you see that God is in heaven and you're on the earth, that He's God and that you're not, that He's your Creator and you're His creation, true worship demands that you offer all that you are to Him. Solomon gives us the key in verse 7. Look at verse 7. For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather fear God. What will protect you from making rash vows and lame excuses? Fear God, Solomon says. Verse the dreams, the many dreams of verse 7, the many words of verse 3, they're both empty. This passage blows up mysticism. Solomon is saying vows are promises made on big dreams, personal desires, your big idea for God, sanctified imaginations, they all fall flat, they're all vain, they're all empty, they're purposeless. They're about as purposeless as your unconscious musings as you sleep. But a heart commitment out of fearing God is good. It's good. Solomon's not arguing against offering yourself or your life to God. In fact, just the opposite. In fact, I would say someone who has a low commitment, who doesn't commit anything to the Lord, is a very frustrated Christian. They're a miserable person. Solomon is telling us how to do that. Fear God. But that won't happen with empty words and boastful speech. Can you think of a commitment like a watershed commitment in the Old Testament that was done rightly, that was serious. Like you think, I, I don't know if I could make that commitment. It's Isaiah chapter 6. Do you remember the commitment that Isaiah makes in Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah sees the Lord and he says, Here am I, send me, I'll go wherever you send me, I'll do whatever you send me to do. I mean, that's, a, that's a pretty big vow, isn't it? How did it start? Where did it originate? Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up in the train of His glory, filling the heaven. And he says, here am I, send me. Solomon is not arguing against giving your life or your service to the Lord or promising God the possessions that that He's placed in your hands. He's saying, when that comes from a genuine heart of worship, because you see who God is, you desire to give all to Him, and that is a wonderful thing. Now, Solomon says, it's a proper view of God fearing Him that will cause you to follow through. So do you want to escape frustration in your Christian walk? I do. Solomon says, don't have a, view, a low view of God where He's just a, a buddy, or you view Him as a prayer answerer. Solomon says, prepare your heart and come to listen to His words. Solomon says, remember, He is in heaven and you're on the earth, so speak less and obey more. Solomon says, see Him rightly and you'll worship Him rightly and your heart will be full of joy. Solomon says, obedience is better than sacrifice. And there's a model that's given to us that you know already it's in the new testament and it's in romans chapter 12 verse 1 i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to god which is your reasonable or your spiritual service The kind of heart that sees God rightly and the mercies that He's given gives God everything and then enjoys Him completely. That's the kind of walk you want. And follow the wisdom of Solomon. Sit by your heads.